You are now entering the Bronx. Your hosts are the intrepid and all-knowing Jason T. Gaffney and the insipid and unknowing Kevin Held. Join these two buddies as they explore history and find the bright side in shitty things. Hello! Hello! You're on the bright side with Kevin and Jason. I am your co-host, Kevin Held. And I'm your other co-host, Jason T. Gaffney. Whoa! You've got some spunk today. Yeah, I know. Oh my god. Feeling sassy today. How do you feel about being your own booster there? Yeah. <laughs> You're like... Jason, Jason, Jason. <laughs> you like to give yourself your own intro? <laughs> and now, Put the man together. we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Me. Me. <laughs> Oh, he cheers for himself, too. (laughs) (laughs) It's really sad to watch. (laughs) But it's funny because it's sad. It is true. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? (laughs) Terrific. Thanks for asking. It's great to be in the uh, studio again. Yes. Welcome back. Hello, studio. Hello, guys. Uh, there's no one here. It's just us. <laughs> it's just us. It's just us. Big surprise. We're not fancy. <laughs> We're not fancy. <laughs> we share a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and our quality is baller. It kind of is. Yeah. I'm pretty happy about yeah. it. I'm very proud of you for learning all that techno sound stuff. Well, thank you. I'm proud of us for creating this. I love coming here and doing this. Thank you. So I love thank you, you being here to do this. Because, you know, there's so much... Shit out there. There's just so much stuff. You can you can spend so much time focusing on all the horrible stuff. Yep. You know? And there's lots of that. There's so much. It's so easy to find and all the bad re- news. readily accessible. Absolutely. But we don't really do that. We focus on the good stuff. Right. You know? Well, I focus on some of the past tragedies. Well, yeah, but I mean... Like, but to make it funny for today. Absolutely. And, and also, like, our idea is that there's hope in everything. There, there's exactly. a good, the bright side to every tragedy. Whatever that... Uh, whatever is going on, you can find... You can tear some good out of it. Exactly. Like, if you poop your pants, mm-hmm. now you know where your limit is. Also, you've got a great story. <laughs> Everyone yeah. has a pooping their pants story. It's true. You you know? Did Everyone we talk does. about our pooping our pants story? No, I don't think we ever talked about it. I've pooped my pants in in public before. How old? I you know I was like twenty four. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I, in front of, in front of a guy that I barely knew, you know. But were you we, dating? No, kind of. We were on this like weird. So I met him in like Denver when I was moving to California. Okay. And a few years after, like about so this is post New York, post New York, I was moving from New York to California. So okay. In like two thousand four, um, <laughs> and I met him in Denver, and then we like six months after living in California or something, I met him in San Francisco. Okay. And uh, we were driving down Market Street one time, and just, I think I'd had some, like, clam chowder on the Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, and it It went real bad, (laughs) and I pooped myself in the car, and then I had to drive to the hotel, (laughs) trying to hold myself above the seat on the freeway with the windows down, (laughs) next to this guy. And that was the most embarrassed I've ever been. Except for perhaps when I had to get out of the car and crab walk my way into the hotel room. Was there like... I mean, not to be too graphic, but was there like a stain? I threw the pants away. Are you kidding? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, not in the car. No, it was leather, fortunately. (laughs) Anyway, that's mine. 
What's yours? I think I was like 13 or 14 the last oh, time I Oh, I take it back. Dad. That never happened to me. <laughs> well, no, but here's the thing. Every time I fart now, nah. I always ask Matt if I've shat myself before in public. I always tell him to look at my ass to make sure I haven't shit myself. <laughs> and he's always like, I think you'd know. How? N- yeah, you would know. I have very Believe me. warm farts. You would know. They're warm. Ew, yeah. God. <laughs> oh, that's the worst phrase I've ever heard. <laughs> Jason T. Gaffney has warm farts. It's like a warm spice field. Oh, God. Well, it's pumpkin spice time. I know. (laughs) There was one day where we were walking home from a restaurant, and my stomach about three-fourths of the way home was like, you're going to regret this. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly was like, we have to go faster. Mm -hmm. And by the end, I was able to hold it because I can clench for days. Wow. uh, and, uh, (laughs) And I started dripping sweat. You know, like when you have oh, to go yeah, to the bathroom sure. really oh, badly yeah, yeah. and you're like now drenched in sweat and mess. Like, you don't look good. And I was like, I feel terrible. Yeah. And I was like, I need to run. I started running, but I was holding my butt uh-huh. in the hopes, like, shut. Running and clenching, sure. I was smushing my cheeks together in the hopes that oh, if it did... You're physically to... holding yeah. them with your hands? <laughs> yeah. Shut? Okay. And uh, I made it in time, but it was it was close. That, that was, was a close call. That was like... Yeah. You were just victorious. Well, I learned from Sarah Silverman's show, I Love You, America, that everyone has a pooping their pants story. Of and it really connects us. And I feel like we've learned too much about each other today. <laughs> And we're only too much five it. minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the bright side. That's our show. Anyway, that was the intro. Let's get to the bright spot, okay? Because we've talked about dark spots. Well, the bright spot. <laughs> oh, the bright side is that everybody's pooped their pants. So you're True. not alone. True, you're not alone. Uh, all right, so shall we dive in today? Yes, I not literally. Yeah. Oh. Uh, pardon me. Uh, but let's talk about the bright spot. I want to okay. know. I tell me, tell right. me. Before we get to the tragedy of human history that you're going to tell us about this week, Jason, yep. uh, my contribution is the bright spot. And this week, we have a nod to the FBI. Okay. All right. So we did an episode on J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah. And the and the history and the origin of the FBI. All that Hoover sucking. And perhaps if you listen to a certain president who maybe ought to be a cheerleader for American uh, intelligence services, but isn't. Right. You might think that the FBI doesn't do valuable work anymore. I'm here to tell you that they do. Because this week, Dorothy's slippers were recovered by the FBI. What? In 2005, one of four existing pairs of ruby slippers that Judy Garland wore in the Wizard of Oz was stolen from the Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. What? Her hometown. And that was they were stolen in 2005, and they were recovered this week by the FBI. What, who stole them? Well, I don't know, because they haven't released that information, but the result of an investigation between the insurance company that owned the shoes and the FBI has recovered the shoes, and I think that they're about to arrest somebody or, like, put somebody on trial for that, because right. the person, who's, whoever had them, was trying to extort money from the insurance company. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, and then the insurance company set up a sting with the FBI, and uh, they've recovered the shoes. So, you know, they're they're back. Hooray! Yeah, so that's, I mean, we're... There's no place like home. There is not any place like home for these homos. Uh, <laughs> we are homosexuals, and we can't appreciate Judy Garland's shoes any more than we do. Yes. So I would like to say that the FBI is doing very valuable work. Yeah. Let's have a moment of silence for the FBI's. Not on a podcast. Let's okay. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Moments of silence are what I cut out of the show. <laughs> but that's the bright spot this week, okay? I love because, it. look, the FBI, we need it. And if you need further proof, then you're a straight person. 
Yes. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen to me. They got Judy's shoes back. Yes. Okay? I didn't even know they were gone. Well, they'd been stolen, you know. And but I, I didn't know there were four pairs. Well, I guess so, yes. That's exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. I don't know where the other three are now, yeah. but uh, I do know I would like to go to the Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. That'd that sounds be like fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. All right. The Brightside Road Trip. Maybe we'll do a Brightside episode about the, the Minnesota or something. Well, if we go, you and me traveling to Minnesota, that would be a tragedy, probably. <laughs> so we could do an episode about it. Both of us will be hovering above our seats with poop pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's not how I always travel. <laughs> I don't always poop my pants. But when I do, I make sure it's in a car with an almost total stranger. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh. That's what I got for us. Uh, all right. We've learned so much this episode already. All right. It. So what do you got for us, Jason T? Well, first I want to tell the, the audience to please add us with your poop stories. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you've got your own... Uh, yes. Poop your How did you poop yourself? <laughs> all right. You all right. Yeah. What are we talking about? All right. Picture it. Sicily. CBS ah. Radio. Okay. <laughs> 1938. Okay. It was a simple time before TV would come out. Oh. Radio shows were all the rage. Okay. It was October 30th, yeah. and CBS Radio wanted to do something to get in the festive Halloween spirit. I love, I think I know what we're talking about. They had a very popular program called Mercury Theater on the Air. Yes! So Orson Welles yes! was to direct and narrate a radio adaptation of the famous sci-fi book War of the Worlds yes! by the one and the only, the H.G. Wells. The, the H.G. Wells? Yes. You mean the one and only H.G. Wells. The one and the only. The H.G. <laughs> Wells. <laughs> all right. I didn't, I didn't know it was possible, but the word the has lost all meaning for me now. Great. <laughs> Thanks. So, all right. Uh, you said we were going to do an episode about this, and yeah. now we are. Yes, we are. This is you fulfilling your campaign promises. Yes, it's well, true. thank you, Obama. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of twists and turns in this, by the way. I can't wait. I, I, there I, were I, things I didn't realize were true that mm-hmm. are true. Oh. I, no, I know about this, of course, but I don't know in depth about this so i you know which i think puts me on a par with most of the people listening so let's talk about it all right so the uh book would basically change to a radio adaptation thanks to howard coke okay who changed the location from the uk to the u.s and made it more modern okay it was really quite a brilliant format okay when we get to it well it'll be you'll be impressed i better be impressed you will be otherwise i'll be disappointed well Either way, the audience wins. Oh, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> so Orson wanted the show to seem realistic, right? Sure. So, quote from Orson, quote, I had conceived the idea of doing a radio broadcast in such a manner that a crisis would actually seem to be happening, mm-hmm. and it would be broadcast in such a dramatized form as to appear to be a real event taking place at that time, sure. rather than a mere radio play. Okay. So basically, you want to try and make it like reality TV radio. Sure. Right? Now, this was not the first time that a radio show had been done like this. No. In 1926, Ronald Knox performed a radio hoax called Broadcasting the Barricades. Mm -hmm. It was about a riot that was overwhelming London. Oh. And it was broadcast by the BBC. Okay. It was also written by Father Ronald Knox, who was a Catholic priest. Wow. So I just love the fact that a Catholic priest was like, let's do a show about a riot for the radio. Wow. Yeah. The confessionals weren't doing it for him. No. Or he needed something to distract himself from the confessionals. That could be. If I hear about Margaret and Harry's affairs one more time. <laughs> Those are actual, like, royals. Oh, they are? Yeah, sure. Oh. One's an aunt of the other one, so that'd be super juicy. Oh, God. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> not West Virginia. <laughs> All right, so leave it to Americans basically to see how good the UK do performance art okay. and then copy it. Sure. It's like The Office all over again. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, or before that. Yeah. Yeah. So the radio show thing would also happen again in 1927 in Australia about mm-hmm. an invasion of Australia. Uh, by emus? Uh, no. <laughs> no? Okay. Uh, I wish. Me too. All right. So anyway, Orson talked to John Houseman, who was the producer of the show, and okay. Paul Stewart, who was the ass producer, the assistant what? producer. Oh, God. <laughs> um, such a child. About doing this radio show in the format of the fake broadcast, and they were like on board. They're like, it's gonna be epic. Okay. That sounds like John Houseman. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna do a radio show, and it's gonna be epic. <laughs> like Oprah suddenly You're became a, a white man. They threw around some ideas of which show to do, right? They, they were thinking about maybe the purple cloud, the color and, purple, yeah, <laughs> and then the lost world. <laughs> Um, and then they settled on the War of the Worlds. And then Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we like these dinosaurs, but aliens are going to win. All right. So they hired Howard Koch, who he had written a couple of episodes for the show prior. And they're like, let's bring him back in because he's good. But before the show was supposed to start rehearsals, Koch called Houseman in a state of panic. Really? Like, super panic. Like, oh my God. Basically, Koch was freaking out because he had done Coke now. Sure. Uh, Koch was freaking out because he wasn't sure that he was doing a good job. He's oh. like, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. This is such a weird format. Well, that, there's the... There's that same old trope that we talked about in the uh, Macbeth episode, I believe, that that's just a part of the creative process. Yeah, yeah. Where you think it's horrible yeah. and it's going to go very badly. Of course. I love it. So and, he's a uh, real artist. This is the best part. Yeah. Oh. So Hausman had apparently hired Anne Froelich, who was Koch's typist, and she was a future screenwriter, basically until she was labeled a communist and blacklisted, which is another topic we'll That's get to. That's a different story, yeah. it feels like. Um, but basically, <laughs> Anne Froelich agreed with Koch that the edit was not good. <laughs> His typist was like, yeah, this is not good. You know, Koch calls and goes, it's really bad. And Hausman's like, don't worry, this is just a part of the process. And Froelich gets on the phone, she's like, no, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me. So um, I know I'm just a woman, but I, I can, can actually write yeah. and read, and uh, it's really bad. It's really guys. bad. So Houseman, doing the good producer thing, went over to help Coke and Furlick. Oh, how nice right? of him. So they would work together all night long. All night. <laughs> and uh, together, <laughs> they would... Is this the day before the show? Before rehearsals. Oh, rehearsals. So, okay. And uh, they would form the trifecta of writing and complete an adequate first draft. <laughs> Just adequate. That's Nothing amazing. special. <laughs> Nothing to write home about. We really achieved the trifecta. We've got an adequate job. <laughs> well, wait. I, I would think the trifecta means you did it and it's done. Yeah, we did it. It's adequate. It's done. It's, it's finished. So you're the trifecta of, 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 of mediocrity. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, um... Basically, the draft freaked out Orson, mm-hmm. Orson Welles, because he thought oh, it was... Oh, Orson Welles. Right. <laughs> Orson basically thought it was a bit boring. Okay. Right? So he was insistent on interruptions to the program so that it would be more intense. Okay. So like the fake program. Sure. And and everything. I like that, yeah. So the writers and producers would rewrite the script again, 
making it better than adequate. Uh-huh. And Good. they added a ton of locations Now it's attack. just okay. Yeah, now, it's, now it's fine. <laughs> and now it's fine. Yeah. We've, we've upgraded it from adequate to fine. I always love it, by the way. So so Matt and I have a, a rule, right? Where mm-hmm. I, When we started dating, I was like, listen, I dated someone who spoke in code. I can't do that again. If you if you if nothing's not fine, you need to tell me. Got it. Like, don't say it's fine. Not like actual code. No, we All wouldn't right. like. The yeah. guy didn't come to you and be like, "The bird flies at midnight," and, and then run away. And he's like, "And I'm supposed to know to go fuck him in the ass?" Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that we didn't have that kind of code. <laughs> basically, I got so surprised. <laughs> basically. It would be like, I would say, I'm going to go out with my friends, and I would be told, oh, yeah, that's fine. Fine. Yeah. And it's like... That's fine. It's not fine. It doesn't sound fine. No, it's fine. Yeah. No problem. And uh, so then I'd do it, and I'd come home and... Wish I had friends. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So, okay. (laughs) So they would rewrite the script, and they added a ton of locations that were under attack, right? Okay. And interruptions that were really spicing up the script. But they ended up having to change a ton of locations from the actual names from the United States to different... Just slightly, because Davidson Taylor, the head honcho at CBS, mm-hmm. along with the legal team, like, lost their fucking mind about this. They're like, really? it's too real. No. So Hausman really? would later write about this and say, quote, Under protest and with a deep sense of grievance, we changed the Hotel Biltmore to a non-existent park plaza. Oh. Transamerica to Intercontinent. Oh, okay. The Columbia Broadcasting Building to the Broadcasting Building. Oh. Um, the United States Weather Bureau in Washington, D.C. was changed to the Government Weather Bureau, etc. I mean, there's a huge list. I'm not going to read everything. So they would have to change... Names of real places to a little bit... Slightly different. Just so that people were not going to be quite as freaked. Yeah, but it's not going to work, because if you're listening to the radio, the government weather bureau sounds perfectly... I like it. Yeah, so... So they did it. It was like they didn't want to do it, but they did it. So in addition to that, Orson wanted there to be a great... Great sound effects of explosions and police, along with stretch, long stretches of music in between to freak out the audience. That's awesome. Which waiting on pins and needles sure. for the rest of the bulletin. Yeah, yeah. To make it sound like, you know, this is emergency broadcasting music. To like, right. Like, please wait. We'll be back shortly. Like, Absolutely. All right. Oh, that'd be awesome. So the show would start with the show's theme music and was followed by the audience being told that today's program was an adaptation of The War of the World. So they were oh. honest right off the bat. Okay. They, like, they were like, we're, we don't want to get sued. Yeah. We're going to be honest about it, but then once the show begins, it's going to be this right. kind of cool format. Sure. After that, Orson Welles would read the prologue to the story, which was super close to the same thing that H.G. Wells had written. Okay. Because Orson was going to be the narrator of the, sure. of the program. He's a good one to get. Right. And, uh... <laughs> So then they went into the regular radio broadcast for the next 30 minutes as uh, it was basically as if it was a normal radio program with dance music when suddenly there were more important interruptions with breaking news. They did that for 30 minutes? Basically, yeah. Yes! The first was that somehow they had seen explosions on Mars. Okay, right. on Mars. Yeah, which is hilarious because I don't know if we had equipment back then that would let us see that well on another um, an planet. An explosion on Mars that was visible to the naked eye. Yeah. Would, Mars would be, like, Gone. exploded. Yeah. <laughs> so back to dancing until... <laughs> um, By the way, hey, uh, you know, we're going to take this moment away from the Lindy Hop to tell you that Mars has exploded. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're going to go back to Tommy Dorsey's orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? 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 Come back. You can't just leave me with that. What? And how? So, anyway, another special report would appear that in Grover's Mill... By the way, just breaking in, I wanted to let you know Washington, D.C. is destroyed. All right. <laughs> and back to the music. 
So basically, yeah. So Grover's Mill, New Jersey, something weird fell into a local farm. Okay. Um, Is this part of the broadcast? Yeah. Okay. So oh, then, these are the announcements yeah. that they're coming in with. Okay. And then back to the dance music. So people are dancing their troubles away. And boy, the troubles are mounting. But yeah. Back again to a breaking news bulletin. Um, apparently there was a ship. And a strange man calling himself Donald J. Trump walked off of what? it. What? No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, it's explained. Yeah. But basically, um, the breaking news was that a ton of people were now around the objects that had fallen on the farm. There's a ton of humans that are like, this is weird. Okay. It was cylindrical, and suddenly Martians are coming out of it, and they start blasting people away. Holy crap! They were using heat rays, and during this breaking news, the reporter who had be- like who was talking about it began to freak out. Oh, sure. And then was cut off. <gasps> so, the script... <laughs> so, basically, the script was awesome, right? So, here's yeah. a snippet from it. Quote, A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from the mirror. What? And it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Good lord, they're turning into flame. Oh my god. Then there'd be screams and unearthly shrieks. Ah, yeah. Now the whole field's caught fire. Explosion. <laughs> the woods, the barns, the gas tanks of the automobiles. Oh it's spreading everywhere. It's uh, coming its way. About happened. 20 yards to my right. Crash of microphone, then deadly silence. Ah! <laughs> So, end quote, end script. But basically, that's a pretty good script. Like, if I were listening to it and you I'm on the know, edge of my seat. I, I'm like, yeah. So suddenly, breaking news after breaking news would follow this, where report after report talks about the Martians attacking cities all over the world. I love it. The grand finale of the attacks would take place in New York City, where the Martians would gas them with poison smoke clouds. Fucking hey. And so there was, like, a the, the reporter in New York's, like, coughing and being like, ah, dying. Ah, ah, I love it. Yeah. So then there'd be a small break, and then the rest of the... <laughs> and now commercials. Yeah. Then it'd be the rest of the radio drama <laughs> finished with more generically radio program style with the telling of the story of a survivor throughout the end of the book where the Martians are defeated by a virus. Okay. So basically it was like the first oh, half was really real, and then the second half was like, now we're into the story. Wow. Yeah, which is really cool, right? Sure. Right. This invasion has been brought to you by Brillo Pads. Yes. <laughs> so... During the radio program, it is suggested that the other popular show on NBC, on NBC radio mm-hmm. by Edgar Bergen had a lot of people listening who then switched over to Mercury Theater on the air mm-hmm. mid-show and did not hear the disclaimer that it was a show, it was right. not real. No, they, they did a short disclaimer at, this, at the beginning that right. said it's not real and most people missed it and came into it a little later. Right. So they were understandably freaked out by this radio show. See, this is interesting. This is just something that absolutely could not happen today. Right. Really. Because, you know, with the podcast or with the non-demand and the streaming kind of situation, you don't get to the middle of... You don't start at the middle of a show anymore, ever, you know? It's true. So, (laughs) Houseman, right before the show's first scheduled break, which was delayed about 10 minutes from its normal time when they would have a break, um, to add suspense to the show, at 8.32 p.m. Eastern Time, saw Mm -hmm. that Davidson Taylor, the CBS supervisor guy, Uh got a phone call in the other room. I'm assuming it's like a normal recording studio where there's glass between them and that kind of thing, right? So Davidson left his post and then came back and was quoted to be, quote, pale as death. Ha ha! Oh no. It would be learned that he was ordered to interrupt the show and let audiences know that it was not real. But by the time he had returned, they were only a moment away from the scheduled break, and it was a super dramatic moment where the reporter was in New York City choking on the gas. Ah, that's great! So they let it finish. Uh Um, Stefan Schnabel, one of the actors in the Mm -hmm. radio show, would later be quoted saying, quote, a few policemen trickled in. 
then a few more. What? Soon the room was full of policemen, oh. and a massive struggle was going on between the police, page boys, and CBS executives Whoa. who were trying to prevent the cops from busting in and stopping the show. Oh my god. It was a show to witness. That's crazy. I love that you're like trying to do your show, and you're just like, uh... Uh, uh, yeah. Like, am I committing a crime? That's correct. Yeah, that would be really, really weird to uh, watch, like, a, a police battle being going going on, and you're just trying to entertain the people. Right. Oh, man. So, okay, so basically, there's a couple times where I've done shows, like, live theater shows, mm-hmm, where we've that had were interrupted kind of by the cops. Well, one was interrupted by a fire alarm. Okay. And the, um, the, I think the fire curtain actually dropped on stage. Right, but you should stop doing, you know, murder plays where you actually murder people well i don't murder people anymore but there was one you show... don't anymore because you learned your lesson <laughs> there was one show though that i was in where they had to stop the show midway because a woman had a heart attack <gasps> in the audience oh no i think she lived i think they got her to a, the a hospital in time but okay but it was very alarming they had to stop the show uh, yeah. move the audience get her out in a gurney and then start the show again so... move the audience what do you well everyone had to get out of their seats so they could get to her oh sure yeah, yeah. she was everyone not... everyone wow literally the entire world Most stood people up were just gawking yeah Most... <laughs> they're like what's happening wow. it looks like a heart attack wow. oh i should watch wow really close mm-hmm. so jason uh, t gaffney's acting makes people want to die no I wasn't on stage at that point. Oh, I was okay. backstage. All right. The lack of Jason T. Gaffney yeah. makes people so upset that they want to die. Exactly. That's better. All right. So throughout the show, CBS, from then on, would make announcements about the fact that it was not a real news report and it was, in fact, a show. Okay. They would make this specific announcement, quote, Cowards. <laughs> You're bowing. You're bowing to the, the man. Yeah. I'm so disappointed. What kind of actors are you? What kind of artists are Everyone you? Everyone at Powder Ridge was disappointed. <laughs> but Melanie came in on a Mr. Softy truck and yeah. saved, the, saved day. the day. So the special announcement was, quote, For those listeners who tuned in to Orson Welles' Mercury Theater on the Air broadcast from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time tonight and did not realize that the program was merely a modernized adaptation of H.G. Wells' famous novel War of the Worlds, we are repeating the fact, which was made clear four times on the program, that while the names of some American cities were used, as in all novels and dramatizations, the entire story and all of its incidents were fictitious. They did this at 10.30, 11.30, and midnight. Okay. So they, they, they kept s- sending the alarm out so that people who were, like, freaking out could hear it and be like, oh, thank God. Okay, but wasn't the show over by then? Well, the show was over, but they did one at the very end, and they did one, they did, did it throughout the night. Oh, they re- replayed it? Re- replayed that statement. No, I know, but they didn't replay the show. No, Okay, no. fine. As the show ended, that was when the shit really hit the fan. Really? Because Houseman received a phone call from a mayor of a Midwest town who was in hysterics because there were apparently mobs of people in the streets. What the fuck? Yeah, they were, like, freaking out. Okay. (laughs) I guess we shouldn't have said Springfield. Yeah. (laughs) 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 So the next few hours were a madhouse in the studio. Upon the completion of the radio show, the police stormed the studio and then locked everyone from the show in another room in the back of the building. What? Jesus! So after a bit of time where the network employees were tidying up from the show and in some cases were uh, destroying the scripts and evidence from the broadcast. (laughs) um, That's good. The the people were released. If you're you're going to obstruct an investigation, it's best to get really ahead of it. And do it while the police are there. Yeah, absolutely. In front of of the police. The the people were released from their prison and then the news media descended upon them like vultures. Sure, yeah. Um, quote from Wiki, and I think from Houseman, quote, How many deaths had we heard of? Implying they knew of thousands. What did we know of a fatal stampede in a Jersey Hall? Implying it was one of many. What traffic deaths? 
The ditches must be choked with corpses. The suicides? Haven't you heard about the one on Riverside Drive? It was all quite vague in my memory and quite terrible. So, so basically the press is asking all these questions and and they're they're supposed to know the answers to something that they would not know about because they've been in a recording studio. Oh, I see. So, so the press is saying that this show has caused incredible these, damage to right. people and, and like there's mobs and there's and suicides death, and, yeah. and death. And... The actors are like, what the fuck? I don't know. I, just yeah, didn't, I, I just literally was just working. Came out of my studio, and then I was locked in a closet for yeah. a while. <laughs> and then... And now I'm gay. You. <laughs> so, Paul White, the head of CBS, remembered going into the office to help the crew of the broadcast answering the flood of phone calls. He wasn't in work, and he's like, I have to go in. Wow. So, Orson, at this point, was losing his mind about the fact that his career was going to be over because of this. <laughs> Right? Oh, poor guy. So, in fact, when the casting crew finally left the office, the New York Times building was flashing the headline, quote, Orson Welles causes panic. <laughs> like, can you imagine, like, your first time in a New York Times thing, it's like, you caused disaster. Yeah, that's not the first headline you want. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, now this... It's like, it, but there was, you know, it was a different time, so it would be like, oh, it's the new panic. Yeah. No, no, it's a panic. Yeah, it's, it's very, very bad. Full panic, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so now this is where the media helped turn the story into the legend that it has become. Okay. Because while there was widespread panic around the nation from the broadcast, it was actually not as widespread as you think. Well, no. Ac- I hope not. So according to the newspapers in history, such examples of the chaos include, but are not limited to, a woman in Indianapolis running into a church and yelling during the middle of service, <laughs> quote, New York has been destroyed. It's the end of the world. Go home and prepare to die. Oh, Janet. Cut it out. They're, they're dead. Every week with you, Janet. <laughs> well, I'm serious this time. The uh, world is ending. Okay, okay. Oh, gosh. She's serious this no, time, folks. No, I, I heard it on the can, radio. Can we pray? We're trying to pray. It's CBS. Janet. Oh, no. Sit in the back. And, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people were apparently fleeing their homes and driving into the countryside to escape cities. Sure. The New York Times wrote an article on this called, quote, Radio Listeners in Panic taking more drama as fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the uh, morons is implied. <laughs> yeah. So the article read, quote, many flee homes to escape gas raid from Mars. <laughs> Phone calls swamp police at broadcast of Wells Fantasy. Wow. It was a really scathing article, and here's a bit of a quote from it. Quote, a wave of mass hysteria seized thousands of radio mm-hmm. listeners between 8.15 and 9.30 o'clock last night when a broadcast of a dramatization of H.G. Wells' fantasy, The War of the Worlds, led thousands to believe that an interplanetary conflict had started with wow. invading Martians spreading wide death and destruction <laughs> in New Jersey and New York. Sure. The broadcast, which disrupted households, interrupted religious services, created traffic jams, and clogged communication systems, was mm-hmm. made by Orson Welles, who, as the radio character... The Shadow, mm-hmm. used to give the creeps to countless children listeners. <laughs> this time, at least a score of adults required medical treatment for shock and hysteria. Wow. In Newark, in a single block at Hedden Terrace and Hawthorne Avenue, more than 20 families rushed out of their houses with wet handkerchiefs and towels over their faces to flee from what <gasps> they believed was to be a gas raid. Oh, my God. Some began moving household furniture. Oh, to where? I don't know. What? 
Uh, it's, a, it's a gas attack. Why do you want to bring your couch? I know. What, what I love about this also is uh, it's just like the Fire of London. Like, just leave it. Yeah. You gotta. You want to live or die? It's a gas attack. Yeah. yeah I swear you're going to be moving <laughs> faster if you're not carrying an ottoman. Right. Um, throughout New York, families left their homes, some to flee to nearby parks, which is great because the parks are Great idea. Yeah. yeah. No, parks. Well, in parks, the air is cleaner. Right. Thousands of persons. Nope. <laughs> thousands of persons called the police. Newspapers and radio stations here and in other cities of the United States and Canada seeking advice on protective measures against the raids. Wow. Which is an amazing article because, like, yeah. it, it implies that it was just chaos. Yeah. The Providence Journal reported that they were overrun with phone calls from, quote, weeping and hysterical women <laughs> who needed to know more about how many people had died and how. Oh, my God. Well, here's why? The thing I Wait, love. why do they need all that information? <laughs> They're like, but I need to know. Oh, my I just, God. How many people died? <laughs> just, I, I, just no. Ballpark figure. <laughs> just, maybe, I don't know, like a million? I don't know. I just need to know. I need to know how upset I should be. Yeah. I don't even know how upset I need to be. <laughs> I'm very upset, but I don't know if I'm ratcheting it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me! Ma'am, ma'am, but please calm down. Calm down. But was it, was, it, was it one person? Was it a hundred thousand people? Don't tell me to calm down. Listen, I will freak out appropriately. Just tell me how to do it. <laughs> um, now, of course, there were also rumors that people had committed suicide. Sure. But most stories were such as neighbors or loved ones arriving at home just in time to stop them. Such as the story the Associated Press reported where a Pittsburgh man came home to find his wife with a bottle of poison in her hand. <laughs> and she said, quote, I'd rather die this way than like that. Oh, my God. Which, here's the thing. If this was really happening sure. and there was a conflict... Yeah, if if it was between one or the other, yeah, maybe, but, but, like, I'd try to live first. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, make sure, like, at least one house in your neighborhood has been destroyed. Yeah, like, like just, don't just do it because like, of a radio program. Yeah, find out for sure one person died other than you in a bad way before you just kill yourself. Yeah. Like, that person was just searching for a reason. <laughs> oh, Like, no. this is a problem. The problem here is, like, check your sources, okay? Right, yeah. But we still have that issue today, of course. of course, I mean, because fake news, but, I mean, in 1938, if you have a problem with what's on CBS radio change the channel right to nbc and if they're playing tommy dorsey's orchestra you're probably fine right like no one else was reporting like there were only three channels and if new jersey was destroyed other people would be on to everyone it. would be on yeah. it the, the police would be roaming the streets saying get in your home get to safety absolutely like, it would not have been yeah the yeah. president would have been on this absolutely you know it'd be like no I'm going to die. Yeah. It's okay. time to die. No. <laughs> so, okay, one thing for certain did happen, and that was that the phone lines became jammed from people who were spooked, sure. right? Okay. And obviously, there were a lot of people who called the network to make sure to just check in. People who were doing it right, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, just heard that there were Martians oh, uh, yeah. attacking the country. Okay, and yeah. Just making sure if that's uh, real or not. Yeah, no, that's not. Not real. It was cool. just a, it's just a radio adaptation cool, of cool. War of the World. Martha, Martha, put down the rat poison, dear. It's too late. Oh. We're going to have to go to the I'm doctor. I'm hang up on you now, and I'm going to call the 911. <laughs> yeah. Okay, have a good night. <laughs> okay, you too. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, 
the other thing is that families were calling other families across the nation to make sure that they were still alive. Sure. Can you imagine you're like asleep, right? And someone calls <laughs> you and is like, are you alive? Yes, you called me. Yeah, well, I just wanted to make sure you're alive. Well, we're talking, aren't we? Are there aliens everywhere? Not to my knowledge. Well, what do you mean? It's all over the news. There's a strange man called Trump, I hear, is making a stir. Oh, but... no. Oh. Oh. So, all right. In San Francisco, they actually received a ton of calls and panic, the police. Mm-hmm. But one man wanted to enlist to help in the fight. Hey, thank he you. He was like, I want to help fight. See, that, that's that's a good way to go about it. Like, yeah. if there's an alien invasion, you know, fucking step up. Yeah. yeah. Don't just rat poison yourself. No. Grab a pair of Try tongs to get... and start stabbing. Try to take some aliens with you. Yeah. Um, all right. So, in concrete Washington. Sorry. It's, that's what it's called. That's Concrete a, Washington. That's a plate? I guess so. Okay. Due to a power outage, their phones were shut down, and the people lost their fucking mind. <laughs> In the middle of the show? Yeah. <laughs> so that, to me, like... Oh, my God, it's the jackpot! <laughs> what, what happened to the radio? What happened to the radio? Oh, my God. Oh, my God, it's real. <laughs> that's like the freak out Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the press found out about this the fact that they couldn't make calls mm-hmm. and this story would go viral like worldwide okay because they're like and then these people were terrified and how dare radio do this mm-hmm. um, so basically after the eventful night the newspapers really seized the opportunity to slam radio with an attack on how radio was unreliable and dangerous <laughs> This newfangled invention, it's not going to last. Yes. People can't trust it. Yeah. Not like the printed word. Yes. They claimed it was misleading, and they called for more regulation by the FCC. Oh, fuck you, misleading. We have, like, like 1,800 notifications that this thing was fake. So, in fact, the newspapers were trying really hard to smear radio in the mud. That is amazing to me, because, like, muckraking and, like, yellow journalism, yep. like, especially in, like, 1938 and before, like, it does not... Newspapers do not have a sterling reputation no, for being fucking stone. Absolutely. You know? I mean, jeez. So they're, they're mad because radio basically had begun to siphon off advertisement revenue. Sure. And they resented that. Yeah. So they're like, this is our chance. All right. Over the next three weeks, over 12,500 articles would be written about the chaos that the War of the Worlds broadcast had created. Okay. To be fair, after three days, the story would leave the front page. Right. But they'd so, still write about it for weeks. For, I mean... Three weeks, 12,500 articles. I don't know how anything else is in your paper other than articles about this. That's a good point. Because it's, it's not... Well, a lot of papers. Yeah. I, you know what? This, I really appreciate this, like, getting to the heart of this right here, because that is really important to note, that the terror uh, that was created and stuff like that, and, and, and the legend of the World of the World, World's broadcast that we know, that it created huge panic. It was fabricated. It's mostly a made-up story by yeah. newspapers who didn't like radio, right. because they were taking ad money from them. Right. So that's a really, like, I it's, like... It's kind of terrorist war play. Well, sure, but it's also, you know, it's just the way things work between competing industries right. and stuff like that. But I mean, like, that's important to note. Right, Because, right. like, people have always been like that. You know, like, we always do that kind of thing. Of so, course. I, I, this is this is cool to me to hear about this, really. It's, like, legitimately cool to hear about this. Because, to find out, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you just find out, don't worry, like, people are just shitty. Yeah. So you can at least, <laughs> you can rely on you that. Can, you can guarantee that. Yeah. In fact, uh, speaking of shitty people, Yay. it was such a big story that Adolf Hitler uh, actually talked about the perils of free speech and broadcasting uh, because of this and said it was proof of the corrupt conditions in democracy. 
Wow. Basically use this ex- experience and the War of the Worlds broadcast as a reason why you shouldn't have free speech. Holy shit. Yep. Okay. So that... Uh, I mean, I see his point. I don't. I don't. I yeah. don't see his point. I'm not siding with Hitler. I'm just being a funny, funny guy. I know. So anyway... Nine. Nine. So Houseman would later write about the show, right? And mm-hmm. he would say, quote, Our actual broadcasting time... From the first mention of the meteorite to the fall of New York City was less than 40 minutes. Wow. During that time... (laughs) With, like, breaks for dancing. (laughs) So during that time, men traveled long distances, large bodies of troops were mobilized, cabinet meetings were held, savage battles fought on land and in the air, and millions of people accepted it, emotionally, if not logically. Well, it's just a good script. Yeah. Mm. Okay, the idea that millions of people were freaking out is not true. Okay. Quote from Slate.com, quote, Far fewer people heard the broadcast, and fewer still panicked than most people believe today. Okay. How do we know? The night the program aired, the CE Hopper Ratings Service telephoned 5,000 households for its national rating survey. Mm-hmm. They would say, to what program are you listening? Only 2% answered a radio play or the Orson Welles program. Mm-hmm. Or something similar indicating CBS. 2%? 2%. They had shitty rate. There was two channels. Right. Ninety-eight <laughs> percent of people were listening to yeah. the other thing. So holy crap! None said a news broadcast, according to a survey published in Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. In other words, ninety-eight percent of those surveys were listening to something else or nothing at all on October thirtieth, nineteen thirty-eight. Okay, they have a serious ratings problem at CBS. Right, but this is just what I also love: is the idea of a poll. What are you listening to? Happening as you're listening to it. And if I were called, I'd be like, I'm not listening to anything right now, asshole, because you're interested in my stories. <laughs> See if they call me again. What are you listening to? I'm listening to some shithead interrupt my shows. <laughs> I'm listening to your stank ass talk. <laughs> All right. If that wasn't enough, the idea that people who switched over from another main program and then freaked out was also a bust. Oh, my. This whole thing's made up. Pretty much. Fuck you, so media. Frank Stanton from CBS, after all the news died down and, and after they performed a nationwide search on Halloween, the day after the show, mm-hmm. revealed, quote, In the first place, most people didn't hear it. But those who did hear it looked at it as a prank and accepted it that way. Okay. It's Halloween. They sure. know they're going to try to do a scary show. Sure. Everyone knows this. It's the kind of thing where, like, when I was a kid... Is that a thing, though? It's 1938. Is that That's not, Halloween like, a trope yet yeah, already. I well, I know Halloween is a thing, but, I mean, like... Is it a thing? Because now a lot of radio shows and a lot of, like, people do a special Halloween episode, you yeah. know, da 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 But it was it that... It was, this think, might have started that thing. I think it was around that time it was starting. Right, so I'm, I'm, all I'm saying is that it's, like, not a super well-known, like, idea to, like, try and fool your audience on Halloween yet. Really, what I'm talking about is, like... Orson Welles is as in a, is a pioneer, right? You yeah. know, really, like he sort of created that idea, yeah. And so that people did not initially take it in the spirit in which it was intended. Right. I can I can understand because it's brand new. They're panicked. Yeah. Um, all right. And in fact, if you actually go online and go to Snopes.com, they basically debunk everything that the news reporters say. Okay. They they agree that there were some people who were in hysterics about the show. But that they mostly made phone calls. There's no evidence of anyone ending up in the hospital from shock Mm -hmm. or trying to kill themselves or that people flooded the streets in fear. Mm -hmm. In fact, according to Snopes, they say that the majority of people who were in a state were more worried because they thought that Germany had attacked because we were around World War II time. Sure. 
but there were way less than that of the millions or thousands that people think freaking out about it. Okay. So it was mostly trumped up by the newspapers. Right. Wow. And uh, so as I mentioned before, the newspapers were calling for the FCC to get involved with this incident. Right. So the Federal Communications Commission did hold investigations. Wow. And found that technically nothing bad had happened. (laughs) Yeah. No laws were broken, but they did suggest that maybe in the future radio shows should be a little more careful about the realism. Like just maybe yeah, you don't want realism in little. radio, for sure. Yeah. So CBS was off the hook along with Orson Welles. Good. There was one lawsuit where a woman tried to sue CBS for, quote, nervous shock. Oh. She wanted okay. uh, $50,000. Hello. the suit was dismissed. Yeah, because it's not a thing. Yeah. Nervous shock. Uh, the only successful case was a man who sued because he was saving money for a new pair of shoes and instead spent the money on a ticket to escape. <laughs> so, all right, here's the thing. If I were in court... I guess they weren't running shoes. Then. I know. Well, my funny thing is that I, if I'd been in court and I was like, the world is crashing around us, who's selling fucking train tickets? The guy like, in the train station. No, no, I, I get it, but it's like, you, you, you rationalize with someone. If the world's imploding around you, nobody's selling train tickets, and no. the trains aren't running. Yeah, well, You true. would just have to run on foot, my friend. I love that guy. So... Anyway, Orson Welles apparently that paid... That guy's amazing. Yeah. I just thought I was the only one clued in. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing is, Orson actually paid for the new shoes himself. Cause, well cause done, it was like a, a good publicity stunt. Sure. Anyway, uh, the original script used for the radio broadcast would later sell for $24,000 to Steven Spielberg. Oh, cool. Uh, he would then later make the book radio drama into a movie. Oh, wow. Based on that script. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, Have you done the Universal tour, the Backlot tour? Yeah. Have you so you've seen I've the seen air the, crash yeah. the airplane crash scene? It's, uh, it's really good. It's good and it's still scary. That's my favorite uh scene backlot oh, like set that set, they have yeah. at the Universal Tour is that airplane crash. It's, it's really, amazing. Yeah. It is. Well on Halloween too, they uh-huh. let you wander through. So mm-hmm. I've actually like walked on the set, which is very fun. I can't do the Halloween thing. It's a little I, scary, but it's uh, kind of worth it when you get to walk many people on the back scream at you and how a lot of often people. do you scream? Quite often, but not as much as my husband, yeah. who has a wonderful scream and loves all the Fright Fest and the Halloween Horror Nights and all the things. He loves it. I get so nervous about it, right? And there's somebody sliding on their knees at you with a chainsaw, and it's just very upsetting. Is it a real chainsaw? And he, It's a real chainsaw. So it could cut you? No. They take the chain off. That's oh. the secret. But who's got time to notice that when there's a clown sliding on his knees with sparks flying yeah. and the chainsaw going? Okay. You don't have time to think about what's on the chainsaw. Yeah. So fun fact. Okay. When I first moved out here, I went to Universal Studios with my good friend David Singletary. Mm-hmm. I treated us to the, like, skip the front of the line passes for the day. Wow. And um, so we went there and we Fancy. went for the day and we went on all the front of the ride stuff. Hi, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> we go on all the rides and there was a haunted house ride. But it wasn't a ride. It was just a haunted house. Okay. Where people jump out at you and scare yes. you. We didn't know this. We, like, race through the line. We're like, nobody's on this ride. How fun is this going to be? We get too far in. Now we're stuck in it. Uh-huh. I lost my shit oh, no. throughout the whole ride <laughs> to the point where at one point I jumped on David's back and started hitting him saying go wow he threw me off and said I am not a steed yeah <laughs> and then we made it to the Frankenstein room where I saw the the creepy doctor guy and I was like I'm gonna stay away from you bitch I see you mm-hmm. they do that on purpose because there's Frankenstein's monster behind and, you yeah I didn't know that mm-hmm. his hand comes out right in front of me 
and I dropped to the deck of the floor and I crawled out of the room. Oh my god! I legitimately You're like their their dream target. client. Yeah, yeah, basically they they once they found me, they started sure? radio, radioing each other, being like, "There's this really yeah. scared guy." Other people in front of us slowed down yeah. so that they could prevent me from going, yeah. so that they could watch me. Oh, in each that's room hilarious! Because they thought it was fucking anyway. Fuck you, people, if you're listening. Wow. They do that to my husband, too, because he gets really, really, like, jumpy and stuff. And so they target him, for sure. It's pretty great. At some point, if someone were to pay me a lot of money, I would do it, but I will not do it willingly. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, back to If I get the the front of the line pass. No. And you can go really fast. I don't want to go really fast through any of it. What if you get to call me daddy? I I don't see how that's an incentive. Not an incentive? All right, well... (laughs) I thought I'd sweeten the deal, but no. <laughs> Only works for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks anyway, Daddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, anyway. Anyway, as, we digress. <laughs> yeah, as Orson Welles was worried about his career from all of this, right? Yeah, sure. It actually finished with him being hailed. Spoiler alert, he was fine. Yeah. He was hailed as a great storyteller, mm-hmm. and the Hollywood studios were like, come work for us. Yeah. Only a few years later, he would write, direct, produce, and star in Citizen Kane. Never heard of it. Which a large portion of film aficionados mm-hmm. call the greatest American film ever. Yeah. I wish I'd ever heard of it. Yeah. The uh, the fake radio broadcast idea was carried out one more time in in 1949 in Ecuador, okay. Leonardo Paez and Eduardo Alcaraz mm-hmm. would translate Orson Welles' War of the Worlds into Spanish and perform it for Radio Quito. Okay. This they broadca- did the same one? Yeah. Okay. This broadcast actually did set off a panic, oh. and there was a riot. Oh, fun. Let's uh, do that one. The police- okay, we're starting over. Welcome, everybody. You're on the bright <laughs> side with Kevin and Jason. The, uh, the police and fire force ran out into the streets to fight the fight, and the people were in a panic. Okay. Once it was learned that it was fake... The panic turned into a riot. Ha! <laughs> well, we're out here and we're mad, yeah. so why not? Uh, Piaz's girlfriend and nephew would be killed in the riot. Oh, no! And Radio Quito, along with a local newspaper, El Comercio, uh-huh. uh, who helped make this hoax seem real by publishing articles leading up to the broadcast for a few days about UFOs, would be burned to obliteration. The, the buildings newspaper would be burned building? Down. Yeah. Shit. Um, oh, my God. They took this a step further. Right. Well, then people were pissed. Well, sure. Um, people died. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. What is the bright side? Wow. Yay. <laughs> the bright side is Mars exploding. Yay. That's the bright spot um, in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> so Orson Welles became a hit Hollywood creator. For sure. That this, was a huge this, bright side. This burst Orson Welles onto the scene. Right. Right? Yeah. And, and he helped. was a great fucking talent. And it helped create tons of jobs for people. Sure. Because of his talent. Yeah. His, yeah, his wide-ranging yeah. career after that. The uh, the network didn't suffer losses wrongfully after putting on a good show. No, they just so had they, to pay for some shoes. Yep. That's pretty good. Um, and the lore, it, the lore of this had created many more jobs uh, with the creating of The War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise. Like, it's, people are still fascinated with this story in the book. The yeah. book still sells this day because of this myth. That's interesting. And, and, it, and it's popular enough to make a movie of it. And I like that. I, I really like that because actually, so the heart of this whole thing is made up, right? Like the widespread panic and the horror, you know, and the the way that a radio show turned into everybody freaking out all over the world didn't happen, right? But the idea that it did and the story that caught hold that that's what happened has engendered a lot of fascination with the with the original like the original product, right? 
and has kept people interested in the iterations of that work. Exactly. And not just that work, but the people who were involved in it, Orson Welles specifically. Totally. Um, and that's really good. Like, that's all really good stuff. Like, yeah. We, we, you know, that the movie was great, I mean, and the fascination with, the, like, the whole subject matter, uh, you know, we, we keep going back to it, you know? So that's perfect for us, because it's like this really, like, this awful seed of a thing has led to... People being inspired and and, and, and being content. fans of yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of I, I think of it as an equivalent to when that guy called the bomb threat on the gay men's chorus. Oh, which right. ended up helping the community in ways it was a, a hindrance and an annoyance. Mm-hmm. The same way that like Orson Welles probably had a lot of stress and anxiety for a few days mm-hmm. about his life being over, right? Because of a but bunch it... of newspapers who were dicks, mm-hmm. like they could have they could have destroyed his career. But in fact, instead, they actually helped his career. Right. That's a certain, certainly a bright side for Orson Welles. The thing that, and I think a really great lesson for all of us, most of the time, the thing that we think is going to break us is the thing that makes us stronger than we've ever been. Right. There were two things in my life that I thought were like the end of the road for me. Right. One was coming out and one was getting sober. Right. And those two things are like the core of me now. You know, and I thought that that was going to be the end of things for me, and they were just the beginning. Well, in a way, and in a way that was the end of things for you in right. the old way. Yeah. But it allowed for the real you to be you. Yeah. And that's nice. Yeah. And I, I, I think that there's a parallel there with Orson Welles, especially uh, thinking that this thing could end his career, and really was the beginning of it. Yeah, because he le- he left radio, but he mm-hmm. went to Hollywood to be one of the biggest Hollywood players mm-hmm. and, ever. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, so it's it's. It's really cool. It's cool when you see that, and it's. It, I like it when the bad guys lose. Sure, because like in yeah. this case, like, and not, I'm not saying that the news people were inherently bad guys, but in this case, they are the bad guys. Well, definitely because, because they did not. They did not keep radio down. That the, right. their purpose, their their nefarious plot to like end the awful scourge of radio didn't work by the way. Well, I love the idea. Okay, so once TV, once films and TV started taking off, mm-hmm. like there was a clash there too. Films hated TV cuz mm-hmm. they were taking away their viewers. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea that like TV kind of took away from radio, right? Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that uh, newspapers are like, haha, finally radio is dying. Wait, the ads are not coming back to us. They're yeah, going exactly. to TV. Oh no. Damn it. Yeah. But you know, it, it, it's the way of the world the the we improve and the news absolutely and yeah. now right now right there used to be like two two channels right on, well there used to be like only newspapers right but there were a lot of newspapers and they were all competing and then radio came on the scene but and there were like two three networks yeah. of of radio right so they would all just fight with each other and then uh, same with tv tv three four networks right and now there's a hundred thousand networks and there's also all of the streaming services and there's now there's podcasts and right. anybody who is has got the time and who has got, you know, the wherewithal to do it is a content creator. Of course. And that's all okay. We're all still running. Right. Like, it's all still going. Don't worry. There's lots of money and there's lots of ears and there's lots of eyes Well, it's like when there. my mom, my mom always talks about the fact that she doesn't compete with other authors because, 
readers read everything. Yeah. There's no reason to compete with other authors. In fact, you should encourage people to read other authors you love. Absolutely. Because when one floats, y'all float. You know, it's absolutely like, It's true. the kind of thing where if I read something really good, it inspires me to pick up another book. Absolutely. And to read something else and to keep reading. And so we're a podcast and we're competing, you could say, with, you know, other podcasts for ears. But I don't think so because I'm a podcast listener. Yep. And I listen to a hundred of them. Like yeah. if I hear about, like, I, you know, if I hear about a new one that I could like, I listen to it. Right. You know, anything that my friends are producing, I'm listening to it. Right. Um, what well, are What are some of your podcasts that you like? Oh, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm, we're bucking the trend here. We're not competing with people. No, yeah. Listen well, to Because what I do is I often glom them. So I'll glom oh. them, and then suddenly I need to listen to something else while I wait for episodes. Yep. So I listen to... Um, let me pull them up. Okay. I want to say the right name. While you're doing that, I'm, I'm going to tell you I listened to Dirty John. Serial is coming back. I'm super excited about that. I listen to a lot of NPR shows. Um, and ones that our friends uh, create. Um, Ruin My Childhood is great. Uh, it's wonderful, a lot of fun. Uh, Warped, which uh, my brother-in-law produ- is producing, it's about Star Trek, and they're going th- one by one through all of the different episodes of Star Trek. I love. They that. watch the show and then they discuss it. It's really fun. That's so cool. Um, Nerdy bitches is one that a friend from Texas is doing. Um, and of course, Vic in a Box, our, our perpetual friend, Vic in a Box. These are some of the ones that I love, and please go listen to them. Yeah. Okay, I found mine. So one of my favorites is Why Won't You Date Me by comedian Nicole Byer. Uh-huh. It's really great. She's trying to figure out why she can't get someone to date her, mm-hmm. um, which is insane because if I were straight, I would date the fuck out of her. <laughs> she's just like the best person ever. Although you answered the question. In... <laughs> well, I know, but obviously that's why I won't date her. But sure. if I were straight, I would. Okay. Um, I love a podcast called The Adventure Zone, okay. which is basically this, uh, this family of uh, brothers and a dad play Dungeons and Dragons and role play it and they, they create kind of like a fun. radio show as they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's fun. And um, and it's really funny and it's often very fun. I love uh, Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they're, they're friends of mine and mm-hmm. they're just wonderful. I enjoy The Dollop when I get a chance. For sure. Oh, another fun one that I listen to on occasion. I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I've got um, close friends who have a podcast called Brick House, okay. which is a basketball podcast, and I enjoy listening to it every now and then just because I like hearing the passion oh. that they share for for oh, that's basketball. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. And even though it's not my sport, it's still fun to listen to them, and they they do other fun little things every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, like go out and check out these podcasts and enjoy them because like because at heart we're not competing with each other. We're all just part of the big tapestry. Right. Yeah. I love that. I'm I'm actually pretty happy that the, the bright this bright side for me is like it it, it it's opens up avenues for people. Right. Yeah. I hope. Well, and, and here's the thing: you you see it even with like filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I know that there's a billion more filmmakers right now, so it can be hard to get noticed in the in the noise. But if you make good stuff and if you and you keep going at it and you make something with a good niche, mm-hmm. you're gonna get found. You just have to keep going, and mm-hmm. it it may seem like a slog. And it is, mm-hmm. but it's like, you can still get your shit out there. Mm-hmm. You can self-distribute, and, and eventually you're going to get picked up. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. And if not, you know, you did hope, it. at least you've got a passion project that you enjoy. Right. You know, at the very, if not, you know, if nothing else, like, I love coming here and doing this because it's fun for me. Right. Like, I, you know, even if no one else is listening, I have, I'm having a blast. Yeah. You know, so thank you. Thank you. You're a bright side for uh, me. Ah, you're a bright side. Yay. What the hell is that? Ah, uh, it's an alien. Ah!
We hope you've liked this episode of The Bright Side with Kevin and Jason. If you did, please throw us some stars and give us a review on iTunes. It really helps others find the show. And if you didn't, just keep it to yourself or tell your diary. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Brightside K and J, and on Facebook at The Bright Side with Kevin and Jason. All our past episodes are also streaming on our website, www.thebrightsidewithkevinandjason.com. Until next week, don't forget to look, look on, on the, the Bright, bright Side! side.